Now, y'all know that if this podcast was not a wine-focused podcast, uh, we could say that the other two favorite topics would be (laughs) the weather, of course. Of course the weather. We're going to get into it. Uh, And colonialism. Colonization. I also, like, okay. Let's just talk about how ignorant I am sometimes. Colonization and colonialism. Is that, can we just group that in one? Any anthropologists out there screaming, screaming at me? Okay, so colonialism is the policy or practice of acquiring full or partial political control over another country. It is the occupying of it. Okay, colonization. This is the same. The action or process of settling among and establishing control over the indigenous people of an area. Yeah. Now who's ignorant? Still me. Welcome to the Sick Palette Podcast. I'm your host, Deepa Shreeder. Um, today, today we are going to postpone a little bit of that wine chat. Um, because I have been having some trouble trying to land a metaphorical plane, and that plane being a newsletter. Uh, a newsletter I've been working on. And it's just gotten kind of out of control, as <laughs> a lot of these newsletters uh, do get a little a little BTS when you are the writer and the editor. You know, one day we will have two separate people doing that. <laughs> okay, it's it's tough. It's tough to figure out what should stay and what should go sometimes. And then I realized something. I realized that in this topic that I am trying to talk about, which um, it's essentially about sugar and it's essentially obviously not about sugar, right? I realized that I'm, I'm actually trying to convey two separate things. And then I said to myself, well, why don't I, why don't I do a podcast on the first part that I'd like to talk about. And then the second part, which will be like a little deeper. We dig a little deeper for the paid subscribers with a recipe. We can, we can then have that separately. So welcome to the Sugar Palette podcast. It's one of one. Before we get into all that, let's just, let's just do a little weather check-in as we like to do here in Austin, Texas. Uh, huh. Hmm. There's this thing that happens, right? Everybody. Everybody seems so pleased with themselves in this particular weather. This fucking milk toast weather. First off, it's super inconvenient, all right? I don't understand the appeal of fall. Because when you wake up in the morning 
and it, and let's say your schedule is one of those where you are only permitted between the hours of 6.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. to go for a run. Oh, you can't anymore because it's fucking freezing. It's like 50 degrees out there. What are you supposed to do? Run in that? Disgusting. It's so cold in the morning. You can run two or three miles. And you're like not even drenched in sweat. So did you run? Who's to say? It's just... You have to put so much more effort in your outdoor recreational exercise. How is this convenient? How is it that people are so against the heat? None of this makes sense. I'm a pragmatist, apparently. Okay? Everyone else wants to live in this fantasy world where because it's 60 degrees, 70 degrees, they think you can do more. No, you can't, by the way. You have to put out more effort for anything to count. So it's just, it's just, it's just terrible. But it's, it's fine. It's fine because that's why I live in Austin, Texas, right? I wait now. I, ha- I have changed my schedule. I have changed my schedule where now I will do an outside run around five or six, right? We finally get to some 85 degrees, still a bit too cold, but we persevere. And um, then I think to myself, fine, since everybody likes their 50s and their 60s and everyone's just so happy, doesn't mean I, I have to see anyone when I'm running outside at 5 p.m. Since I'm the only one that likes it to be nearly 90 And then, and then here is the truth. Here is the whole truth. Everyone is out running at that same time. Because here's the truth, okay? Nobody likes it when it's 50 degrees or 60 degrees. They're waiting until 5 p.m. Because it's far more convenient It's a better run. You get more bang for your buck when it's 85, 87 degrees. Which means everyone's a liar. Every single person is a liar. You don't like fall. Nobody likes fall. Get out of here. You just assume because you're not sweating all the time that this is better. Your skin isn't better. I bet it's drier. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait. Can't wait until it gets dark at like 5.36 p.m. Y'all ready for that? So excited for that? Get out of here. Liars. This whole town. Anyways, let's continue to the second segment. (laughs) So, um, in this first part, part one of this sugar-based podcast, um, I didn't really want to get into the very, very deep, dark history 
um, origin of sugar, but rather I wanted to talk about my experience in the last few weeks of cooking with somebody, um, cooking with somebody who I'm really excited that I'm cooking with, um, who is also from a very similar region that I am, but it is also vastly different. Um, it has taught me about collaboration, which is important in your pop-up supper club repertoire. Um, and it's kind of widened my lens on what is out there in the palm sugar world. Um, because even though I love to talk about jaggery, it became really apparent to me that I actually don't know a lot about palm sugar. I just assumed that people were calling jaggery different names. And then I had to be corrected and then I had to be schooled, which was nice. So, so let's get into as it. As many uh, of y'all know through social media, um, maybe you're following the Sick Palette Instagram account or my own Instagram account, um, there is there is a supper club coming to everybody very soon. Well, everybody if you live in Austin, Texas. I mean, listen, you want to buy a ticket to this and you want to fly, please do so. Be my guest. Um, but we'll get into that here in a second. Um, I want to first talk about uh, the person that I'm collaborating with. So uh, I met Ava Pendleton uh, when she invited me. I think that was back in April. Maybe it was back in April. I I'm not going to look it up. I know it's like around April and that's fine for me. Um, she invited me to uh, do something called a baker's box um, with, with comma with warm welcome, uh, which is which is like a it's like a roaming pop up and podcast, and um, she was the one organizing the Austin baker's box, meaning she needed to get like a bunch of bakers together, and they were going to contribute. Uh, one dessert uh, in in one of these baker's box, and, and she wanted me to be one of those bakers. I also pointed out to her that I have never been known as a baker. That's not really what I do. <laughs> I like making desserts, but I'm, uh, I think, I think I'm definitely known more for being able to throw a giant slab of meat in a fire uh, and cooking the shit out of it. And so uh, when she approached that, I, I wanted to be really clear that this is what I'm going to be doing, not throwing giant slabs of meat, <laughs> meaning that's just, that's just not my forte. And, um, you know, she was, she was still pretty... Um, she was pr still pretty welcome about it and said, no, she definitely wanted me to be a part of the box. So I said, okay. Um, we made something black sesame. It was good. It, it definitely wasn't. Listen, listen, guys. It's a line cook. 
making a dessert. We get impatient pretty quickly. We like things to be done with alacrity. <laughs> that shit tasted good. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, ooh, she made this incredible like mesquite pedophore. I'll have to ask her exactly what she made, but it was very impressive looking. Um, so anyways, uh, that's how we met. And then um, I really liked her vibe uh, when I met her in person. So I told her about, of course, the industry supper club. Um, and it was actually going to happen, in, I think, the next day. And so I was like, hey, I would love for you to come. And, you know, a lot of times when you invite somebody on a whim to something to something that is like an industry only supper club it doesn't mean that they're going to be like absolutely I'll be there she said absolutely I'll be there and then she meant it which I was already like oh okay this person is is somebody that says what they're going to do which is cool uh refreshing um so she came to the supper club and we we immediately vibed um she is a um a Malaysian chef with a with a very distinct point of view. Her business is called Austin Quay Co. And um Quay is essentially a dessert. I want to say dessert. Well it's I feel like it's 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 like an array. It's a style of making sweets slash desserts. Um but for like more of like almost like a chai time or a tea time. Um, so so it has that sort of structure to it where if you are having quay, you're not having just like one thing. You're having several different little bites of carefully crafted um, dessert, dessert snacks, sweets. Just so we know, just so everybody knows, Ava's going to come on the podcast. <laughs> so that way, that way, when we talk about Quay again, we're going to have somebody that's not going to end every sentence with a question mark. <laughs> um, so anyways, that was her specialty. Like I said, we vibed. Uh, you know, I think we... We we drank more wine together. You know, we hung out. We had we had a little bit of like let's let's become friends and see see if this works as just like someone who I like to hang out with. Um, and we got that down. Um, while we were doing that, we started kind of riffing on um, what could a menu between both of us look like. Um, because there's one, here's the thing. Um, it is rare to be able to talk not only South Indian food, but specifically a Thamillion point of view. Um, I will even say it with, with other desis, with other people in South Asia. Because it is so specific. So what was so interesting about talking with somebody who has a Malaysian background is that I could really get into what it meant 
to have a Thamelian point of view because that was a point of view that she had already been familiar with being from Malaysia. And so that was very exciting for me. That felt very new. And it was also um, really interesting that um, this, this kind of felt like even though this person isn't Indian, more than other Indian chefs, I felt understood the flavor profiles. Isn't that in, that's like very, very interesting, I think, right? It's, it really kind of speaks to the, the kind of sort of coastal trade and conversation South India and the Gulf of India was having with countries like Malaysia. It's, yeah, it's telling. So anyway, so that, that was really exciting for me. And then we started kind of talking about menus. And I don't even think we were talking about menus in the way of like, okay, let's do a pop-up together. It was just more like riffing almost. And then I think obviously it was like a little bit clear, like, hey, we should, we should do something. Um, so we started thinking about how we would want to structure this. Um, this this particular pop-up. And uh, I, think, I think I suggested Thali because it would give us then the ability to kind of sort of almost throw out many different compositions. Because I think especially when working with a new chef for me, right? Um, and, and having an idea that was like, kind of exciting. I wanted for us to be able to like kind of run, run the fucking board on flavors. Um, and so, and so we started creating a menu for Dolly Supper Club. And because we were so new to each other, we were like, well, let's use the industry supper club that I've got going on as kind of our, our R and D kitchen, right? Especially like if we're testing these recipes to other chefs and other uh, restaurateurs and and people who are really well versed in what it means to have a professional menu thrown down, then then we can really kind of dial into what we want this to be. Um, and so we started cooking together, and the thing that really stuck out to me was how serious we felt about our perspective or no, no, our respective sugars. So we finally got to the, we got to the main point. I needed to give you all a little bit of background. Okay. Um, and, and to me, that was really an eye opener because I, I think anyone who is familiar with this podcast, with this Substack, I, I, oh, I talk about tamarind quite a bit. Yes, of course. We love tamarind. We love the tamarind test. I would say if we were doing like a family feud style category, right? I would say we would be pretty serious also about jaggery. Um. 
that that is something that comes up a lot. I think there's already like two different kind of entries about Jaggery that you're about to get a third. Um, <laughs> I, I feel strongly about it. What was exciting and also something that was, I think, um, humbling as in just like an identity on, on how I d- identify was how she felt about, I'm going to wait, I, I had it. I pronounced this a million times. Gula Melaka. Gula Melaka. Gula Melaka. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so Gula Melaka is, is, a, is a palm sugar, as Jaggery is a palm sugar. But they're both pretty distinct. Um, she brought some over. The first thing I realized is that it's, it's much softer than Jaggery. It comes in a tube because like Jaggery, it is, it is um, molded into a shape, but it's molded into bamboo molds instead of copper molds as you would with Jaggery. Um, it is also made from the sap of um, coconut or date palm. It is the sap that is boiled. So it's not, it's not sort of, with jaggery, you can make it from um, the sugar cane. And, but this is, this is like you first must extract sap from, from the coconut, from the palm, from, um, from whatever you're getting this particular liquid from. You're boiling it like you would jaggery. And then it's um, put into a mold, most of the time bamboo. And then it's allowed to dry. When you immediately touch it, it softens. You know, it's, if you, if you leave it at room temperature, it becomes easier to work with. You still can grate it. Um, when it's hard, so that way you can kind of use it, use it in different ways, but it is super, super distinct. Um, I would say it's got a sort of almost like smoky quality. And after I did my research and realizing that it's most of the time in bamboo molds, I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. I was like, what is that, that otherworldly savory quality that Gula Malaka has. Um, it's a complexity that I don't find in Jaggery. Jaggery definitely has its own sort of uh, flavor composition. But Gula Malaka has like almost, almost a, a, a smoky, slight savory finish. And this is my assumption, but I think it comes from, the, from that bamboo mold. Just like Jaggery too, what's so interesting about it is that that variety, that texture, all of that can change, right? Um, I thought about it a little bit more and I was like, you know, when we're talking about these kind of ingredients, which are really terroir focused, right? 
Uh, it matters what region. It matters where you get the sap. It, I mean, we, we can even go ahead and say it matters on the flavor of the bamboo that is helping mold it. I want to live in a world where we start talking about these palm sugar vintages, right? This is terroir. And it, and it got me thinking about how, how uh, immediately a dish changes when I properly use, for instance, something that I'm, I'm making some sort of South Indian curry, where I probably, properly use jaggery. I don't use brown sugar or whatever they say you can replace it with. The difference it makes. It's distinct, right? Because it has like that sort of like umami quality, right? Jaggery, jaggery has like a tiny, tiny bit, tiny, tiny, tiny bit of bitter to it. That is like almost, you, you can't quite place it. It's the same thing with Gula Malaka. It has a tiny bit of smoke to it. And it makes such a difference when you use that in a recipe as opposed to, quote unquote, coconut sugar, palm sugar, uh, not palm sugar, coconut sugar, you know, white sugar like I would ever. But, you know, <laughs> these things, these things are distinctive. These things have, um, these things have a reason for being in our sweet and savory cooking. There's a thing that has, and I'm probably going to talk about it a little bit more in the newsletter, but I wanted to kind of bring it up here first. There's a thing that happens a lot when people talk about. Indian desserts, for instance. They talk about Indian desserts, and the first thing I always hear is, oh, God, they're just too sweet. They're far too sweet. They're far too sweet. Oh, they're too sweet. Um, and the reason for that is because jaggery is far more expensive to make, right? And jaggery was, was a thing of, it's, it's a really laborious product. It takes a lot to make jaggery. I would assume with Gula Malaka, the same is true. And so one of the problems, <laughs> one of, one of the problems um, is when the British essentially, essentially um, took our sugar loved our sugar, and then tried to figure out how to make that, that particular sugar uh, cheaper, um, easier to make. And um, became, became the standard, the standard sugar that India would make its sweets from in the modern era. I'm talking the modern era. Let's let's say just pre-colonial India. I don't want to say dates because I have not looked these dates up, so I don't want to like give you information that's just wrong. But pre-colonial India, I'm going to go ahead and make a very educated assumption. Pre-colonial India, those sweets looked very different, right? 
post-colonial India, those sweets looked very different. And like I said, we'll get more into it in the newsletter. Why am I bringing up um, sugar? Why am I bringing up gula malaka? Why am I bringing up jaggery? Why have I decided to not put out a wine review podcast this week? Well, a few reasons. Number one, our pop-up is out. And I wanted to I wanted to talk about it a little bit, but I also wanted to I wanted to talk about it not on a podcast where I've just reviewed a wine that I really love or like, and then just also say, hey, also this event, I wanted it to, to really explain um, the origin story of this pop-up from, from my point of view. And for me, the biggest, um, it, it was a real, a real pivotal point in our professional collaboration between Ava and I, when I realized that this sugar, this palm sugar, Gula Malaka, meant so much to her in the way that jaggery means so much to me. And how she used it in her cooking, I felt a little bit of a kindred spirit there. For me, that was, that was the entry point into realizing how fucking cool this thing we're doing together, what we're making together. I'm not just talking about this event, but just just being able to collaborate with someone who maybe there's a little bit of ocean between us, right? But there's a lot of parallels there. And just seeing, just seeing how our cultures essentially essentially made this thing of beauty with with slightly different vessels slightly different changes in environment and how it became so integral in our cooking it's I, it's kind of wild to me that we're able to go so specific on grapes. We're so, and, and, and I love that we are able to. We're able to talk about the vintage. We're able to talk about the soil. The soil. We're able to give the origin story on a fucking vine. And I thought to myself, that's amazing. That's great. I, I love specificity and passion and flavor. But I cannot do that with jaggery yet, or gula malaka, or palm sugar, right? And that's just as important, I would feel. So that is kind of what I've realized I'd like to find a way to do. I want to live in a world where we can talk about a sugar vintage. Because this shit, when it's done right, is expensive and is a labor of love. It's craft. Anyways, 
I think that's the podcast. <laughs> Here's also the good news about Dolly Supper Club happening November 5th at the Training Kitchen, a nonprofit micro farm um, with amazing sponsors such as Red Thumb Wine, Rambler Sparkling Water. No big deal. Um, in these dishes, what I'm really excited about is that the mushroom curry, for instance, is made with jaggery. And then the quay is made with gula melaka. And I'm sure we're going to have some savory elements with it as well. And that, to me, that's exciting. We get to get specific about our sugars here. Anyways, um, in these podcast notes will be all of the information of the Thali Supper Club. If you are in Austin or if you know someone in Austin, you're like, I would like to gift them this dinner. You can click on that link and read more about the menu and uh, more about the training kitchen and more about what we're going to be doing on November 5th. Next week, next week, we will have a regularly scheduled wine review podcast. Thank you for indulging me in my, in my first part of Sugar. Um, the newsletter, which is going to be really getting in more <laughs> to, to um, our favorite thing to talk about. How, how, how sugar became a dark vessel <laughs> for colonization. Surprise. All right. I'm out of here. Thanks, y'all. I'll talk to y'all soon. <laughs>